0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to cheeselandia.com to learn more. And if it's for you, sign up.
2: Thanks for tuning in to Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Kafaro. On today's show, we are going beyond the usual foods served during the Lenten season, and we're going to explore some tasty and maybe even surprising Lenten dishes. Our guests are going to give us a tour of traditions from across the Midwest. In Kansas City, Lana Yeager of Russia House introduces us to the Russian Orthodox celebration of Maslenitsa, where pancakes take center stage. Then we head to the Polish home of Omaha, where Tom Judlowski will share insights into Pushki Day, a Polish-American answer to the Mardi Gras. Now let's welcome our first guest, Brenton Brown, pitmaster master of bootlegger barbecue outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Brenton is here to tell us why beaver is the new fish on Friday during Lent. Brenton, we're really happy to have you on the show to talk about something that I at least just learned about, uh, even though, you know, I've grown up as as a Catholic in the Midwest. Um, We're all familiar with, you know, the Lenten fish fries, fish Fridays, um, which really are a staple in so many communities. But uh, apparently, um, and you've caught on to this, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a trend, But um, there is at least one or two types of meats that are maybe we could call blessed uh, for uh, eating during Lent. And one of those is beaver. And the other one is muskrat. But I understand you serve beaver. Um, Tell us about why, like the history behind what's the deal? Why is beaver something that we're allowed to eat? (laughs) <laughs> and why did you decide to pick it up cuz it's pretty weird.
3: <laughs> yeah, so beaver is definitely something that's unique. Uh we happen to come across an article from Scientific American. It's just a blog from uh this guy Jason Goldman. Uh he he talks about how back in the 17th uh, century, they were trying to uh basically indoctrinate the indigenous people and they were uh, the beaver was a big staple of their diet. Uh and since the lore was land versus water and the beaver spends most of its life in water uh therefore the bishop said ask the pope pope said make it so so uh it's pretty neat that uh we actually found this and then we found a uh farm down uh, in missouri here they have a booth at one of the local farmers markets here in st louis and they actually do capture and uh give us uh, the beaver meat
2: yeah, I'm surprised it was that easy to find. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that there is this loophole um, because of the whole water land thing. And I guess I, I'm assuming muskrat falls in that same category. But you serve beaver. You get it from a family farm in Missouri. You guys, your restaurant is it, around St. Louis, right?
3: Yeah, we are downtown St. Louis uh, right there at 1933 Washington if you want to come visit us.
2: Aha! Little little plug there. And so you uh, you don't serve beaver all the time. It's it is a Lenten specialty. Um, I know you may not be serving it this Lent because of some of the COVID restrictions that that are happening. But um, when you do serve it, um, how you know how do you prepare it? Um, and what do people think about it when they when they come to your restaurant and see that beavers on the menu?
3: <laughs> so we've done it now for about five years. Unfortunately, you're right, because of COVID, we didn't do it this year. We're still at 50% capacity. So the traffic's just not there to try and uh, gather a, a product that might go to waste. So we don't want to waste the meat. Uh, but uh, when we would have it, we've done multiple iterations of it. Uh, we made beaver tacos. Those are always nice and easy to make. Uh, we made boudin balls out of beaver. Uh, and we did beavers and mashed potatoes uh, you know, beavers and mash. And then, uh, the last, last year, 19, we did, uh, a ratatouille with beaver. That was absolutely fantastic. Uh, most people, if they want to try just the meat, they'll get something like the beavers and mash, um, which is, you know, beaver tastes like beef, but it's got that little hint of woodiness to it because that's their main diet, but they also have, uh, you know, we smoke it. So it gives that extra, uh, hint of that wood, uh, flavoring to it. But, uh, in the ratatouille, it's just there, it's extra little, uh, you know, and the flavor, it just really makes it so uh, delicate and delightful.
2: Wow. Um, I'm surprised that people are that adventurous, although maybe not. I mean, I've definitely heard people, you know, giving uh, some pretty interesting types of meat a try. I will say that I maybe not be that adventurous, but (laughs) I was just so fascinated with this story. I I mean, did you have to look up how to make beaver? I mean, is this something, or, you know, did you just kind of wing it and decide you were going to make it like anything else that you prepare
3: a little of both we looked at some recipes but we pretty much took, stuck to how we do normal barbecue which you know you want to give it some flavor so you put the rub on there maybe you inject it uh, with a little bit of uh, seasoning like you would if you did a whole hog uh just to, you know do that little extra seasoning throughout uh but then rub it and throw it on the smoker and let the uh let the wood do the uh, do the work
2: do people make a pilgrimage for this specifically because you know it took me a while to try to find someone that actually served beaver because I was looking to see you know does someone have kind of the Friday night beaver f- feast like the fish fries right but um and it was I expected to find more maybe you know churches particularly I guess this is pretty popular in Michigan but I was fascinated that As a restaurant, um, you know, you guys actually incorporated it into your menu. Uh, Do folks come from, uh, you know, out of town or at least, you know, come during Lent knowing that you're going to have this beaver just to give it a try?
3: Yeah, we've had uh, several uh, this year again. We're not serving it, unfortunately, but we've had several phone calls this year asking if we were serving it again. uh, People from out of town. Uh, but uh we did have a family that I specifically remember came in to uh go to the blues Blackhawks game uh on a Friday specifically so they could come here to eat beaver because they heard about it on n p r
2: oh wow <laughs> that well that's that 's good i mean it 's definitely a a tourist attraction. It sounds like um you know i um i'm wondering do people ask if they don't know maybe so say they come in and they're like what's up with beaver do they do you have to educate them on on why it's there on a on a linton menu
3: yeah usually if they ask about you know if it's something we have on the menu we they ask why do you have beaver uh and uh it's really just one one of those things that our employees they they like it because it's something to talk about to engage with the customers uh and then sure. uh you know it's it's just it's a talking point and then the it, it, word kind of travels so you get that little extra underlying advertising you know draw to the business because it's something unique that you don't, can't get anywhere else and word of mouth travels
2: it certainly sounds like it what are your plans for for next year um do you think you're going to bring it back
3: oh we definitely will,
2: continue the tradition we definitely
3: will bring it back uh, we got a bunch of new uh, plans in the works for our business as a whole as we're expanding uh, so we're going to have uh, you know, a little bit more space and a little bit more uh, opportunities to you know, feed more people uh, when it comes to this actual uh, unique dish.
2: Anybody else you know uh, around that actually does this during Lent?
3: No. Or we... are you
2: the lone the lone wolf serving beaver?
3: Yeah, we are the only ones that I know of that uh, actually serves beaver. Uh, I've not found anybody else that does it.
2: Wow. Well, uh, you know, I, I think that... You definitely have piqued a lot of people's interest. Uh and I'm sure that uh, the the listeners and myself included are definitely intrigued by this whole thing because um it's totally new to me. And this this specific episode of, of the series is all about these Lenten, you know, traditions that are unique. Um, uh, you know, and, and that it makes our region um, you know, a little more flavorful. So I, I appreciate you sharing. Uh, the insights on why beaver is, is part of a lent menu and, and the fact that you guys actually decided to step up and make it part of a restaurant is not just kind of a, a you know, an obscure sort of, you know, church basement meal. So thank you for, for sharing. And um, we'll stay tuned to see what's next for you guys.
3: Absolutely. I appreciate it.
2: We're now joined by Lana Yeager, founder of Russia House of Kansas City. Lana, thank you for joining the show uh, to tell us all about a uh, very unique uh, Russian and Russian Orthodox uh, tradition that comes around during the Orthodox uh, Lent and, and Easter um Season something that I actually was not familiar with, even though my my grandmother was Ukrainian Orthodox. So I've learned something new in in my research, and I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. So please uh, forgive me. But Maslenitsa, um, did I get it like remotely correct?
4: <laughs> almost, almost. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me. I am very happy to share our cultural traditions with your audience, and we say. Maslenitsa,
2: And what does that mean? Does it have a meaning?
4: Yes. Maslenitsa is the name of the holiday in the Russian Orthodox Church and in the Russian culture. Uh, Maslenitsa comes from a word masla, which means butter. And it is the name of Buttery Week. Buttery Week, we call it. Or uh, this holiday uh, is about welcoming spring and saying bye to cold winter. And again, the name Maslenitsa comes from the word Masla, which means butter.
2: I see. So that makes a lot of sense. And in, in many other cultures as well, when we talk about things like Shrove Tuesday, um, right before Ash, uh, Ash Wednesday, um, you know, in, um, for example, in the, in the Catholic tradition, um, you know, the, the way that so many people celebrate that is by making a lot of pancakes using up all the butter and egg and milk in these pancakes exactly. um because they're not going to uh cuz they're going to to fast and it sounds like it's a very similar type of thing so um and we can all agree that um welcoming spring is important uh you know particularly here in the midwest whether you're in ohio like me or kansas city like you Um, And and so how are you, how do you celebrate this, um, you know, Russian cultural tradition there in Kansas City?
4: In Kansas City, we celebrate by getting together, uh, not necessarily Russians only, but Russian-speaking community. Mm
0: -hmm. And
4: when I say Russian-speaking community, it means people who came here from the former Soviet Union, for whom the Russian language, one of the common language we communicate, no matter right. which republic you come from. And of course, we invite Americans. We are here to share our Russian traditions with, the, um, with our community. So uh, we started celebrating Maslenitsa when we organized uh, uh, Russian House of Kansas City, a nonprofit organization that promotes culture of the Russian speaking people. And Maslenitsa uh, before that was um, celebrated, but maybe uh, in a small way in some churches. And when we organized the Russian House of Kansas City, we decided to celebrate Maslenitsa, And it started about a few years ago. Uh, we get together, we prepare bliny, which is pancakes. We prepare uh, Russian jam, uh, Russian preserves. We buy caviar and... Uh, uh, we invite people, we sing Russian songs, we play games, and this is how we celebrate. But uh, be- because we're in America and because uh, we do not have a large Russian-speaking community, our festivals usually are quite small comparing to what is going on in Russia or sure. in former, uh former Soviet Union republics where uh, in which uh, you can find uh, large groups of Russian ed- ed- ethnic people. So in Moscow, for example, there are like 500 events uh, celebro- wow. devoted to Maslenitsa. Uh, but here we are doing it in a smaller way, perhaps in New York or San Francisco uh, where the Russian community is larger, much larger than in Uh, Other states, their larger celebrations.
2: Sure. We do have one actually in Cleveland, which is not far from where I'm at, because Cleveland, Ohio, and the surrounding suburbs have a pretty large. Uh, Russian community, uh, Russian speaking community, as you, as you indicated, um, you know, and, and also neighboring, uh, neighboring nations, you know, and, and ethnicities, ethnicities, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, Czech or Polish or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Serb and Croatian and that sort of thing. But what uh, we do have, um, they do put on, there is a group in Cleveland, um, of, um, of a, a russian community that does put that but they they had they were cancelled this year uh for uh maslanitsa so um i'm so glad to hear because i always try to bring new voices in and i think a lot of folks probably don't realize that there you know is a russian or russian-speaking community in kansas city um i did actually uh, have a, a chance to have a wonderful conversation um with uh the uh woman uh Irina who yes. uh, you introduced me to who is the has the bakery mm-hmm. there um and she also uh, educated me on all of this so so tell me a little bit more about the food and it's I wish people could see I thank you you invited me to the Zoom celebration that you did this year um which is was on a Sunday which is usually when you celebrate correct even though it's butter yes. week you usually have pancakes on Sunday right
4: <laughs> yes yeah the festivity goes on Sunday yes
2: and and so it's very colorful and i wish people could see it maybe you can describe a little bit of of what people could see if they were to come and, and attend and what they would taste obviously because mm-hmm. this is a, also a food about sh- sh- a show about food especially
4: yes yes uh, the main food item is uh, of course blini uh hello Yes, we are here. Yes, I just want to make sure we are still connected. Uh, The main food is blini, which is pancakes. And it is very thin, thin pancakes. The main ingredients, milk and a little bit of uh, oil and, of course, eggs and so on. But lots of milk to make sure the blini is very thin. Why we have a thin blini and large? They are large, the size of the skillet, quite large circle. Because blini is a replica of sun,
2: I see. So it's
4: a form of a sun. The color, yellow color, is a sun. Uh, also resembles sun. And uh, why uh, blini is uh, blinis are large? Because we want to put some fillings inside. It can be sour cream. It can be uh, preserves, uh, cherry or uh, be- different type of berries, uh, or. Maybe the most expensive and most delicious for Russian-speaking people is the caviar. We put caviar inside blini and fold it in different ways and we eat. Uh, It can be also... Uh, Some different salads offered, but main ingredient or main food is bliné with hot tea. And for older adults, I can share that during festivals, it can be vodka can be served because just to keep ourselves warm and fun.
2: Of course, of course. Uh, that I mean, the, and I I love the fact that you brought up the 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 fact that you know this this holiday is about welcoming spring, and the blini is something that is the color of the sun, the shape of the sun, and welcoming that sun um, as we're saying goodbye to winter and saying hello to spring. Now, in 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 Russia. Uh, it's my understanding and i think i saw this as well in the discussion that you had on the zoom celebration that they that you burn an effigy basically to say goodbye to winter yes. is that right
4: yes it's right we burn the image of a winter it's uh, it's um, sort of a doll sort of like a a doll of like a, maybe I would say ugly woman of winter <laughs> so we need to burn it down to make sure that we say goodbye for good so goodbye to winter for good we are tired of cold we want to have a wonderful and warm spring
2: so now during the Lenten season, um, you know, maybe not everyone is observing, but, um, you know, what would be something traditional as far as, you know, um, since there are certain foods that people can't eat, um, you know, during that, that Lenten period, what kind of foods may people be eating now that the, you know, the feast is kind of passed and now we're into this period, um, of Lent before the, the Orthodox Easter?
4: Usually people don't eat dairy products. They don't drink milk or any type of products. And maybe uh, some people don't eat during the day, during the uh-huh. day. In the evening, they can eat uh, maybe meat and uh, so on, but no dairy products.
2: So. Interesting. That's I've never heard that. I
4: have never uh, experienced that. I'm not at that point to get rid of any food. So, and it does, I mean... And some people, some people hold this uh, week with with no food, sort of, uh, but lots of people continue eating because for some people it may be not a religious holiday anymore. It's just right an activity. It's just cultural traditions. And sure. by the way, when we celebrate Maslenitsa in Kansas City, we uh, we introduce this. Holiday and festivity as a cultural tradition, not yes. a religious tradition. So, Maslenitsa actually became a cultural festivity, uh, and it came, of course, from religious uh, holiday, but became more, more, um, more cultural tradition, more fe- more type of a festival.
2: Right, a little bit like Mardi Gras. This is. Yes. I am so. I am so glad that that uh, you've been able to to share your experience and this. This cultural tradition, and and one that I hope to experience in person one day, but I was happy that I had a chance to experience it virtually this year. So, Lana, thank you for welcoming us uh, to your community in Kansas City, and you have a wonderful rest of the season.
4: Thank you very much, and we say in Russia "Happy masl- in English "Happy Maslenitsa," but in Russian we say Thank you very much for inviting us, and saying big Russian hello from Kansas City.
2: Well, спасибо.
4: Пожалуйста, спасибо. До свидания.
1: My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a cheese landian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com.
2: You're listening to Eat Your Heartland Out. Our final guest this episode is Tom Jedlowski from the Polish home in Omaha, Nebraska. Tom, thank you for joining us from Omaha, Nebraska, where uh, you are um, involved in the um, Polish home there in Omaha. And um, I really wanted to bring someone on this particular episode to talk about. Um, some of the unique culinary you know traditions food traditions that have passed down or affiliated with um, you know the polish community and and the Polish ethnicity I know uh, you know again coming from my little corner of Ohio in northeastern Ohio we have Pretty sizable Polish community. And, um, you know, Pushkies, um, otherwise basically known as jelly donuts in some way, shape, or form, have, are a huge thing here. Um, and they come out, um, basically right before Ash Wednesday. And, um, you know, I just eat them, but I wanted to actually bring somebody on to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the tradition of pushkis, other, as well as, as other food traditions, um, right before Lent and through Lent. And I couldn't think of anybody better. Then you to tell us a little bit about how uh, the Polish community does it in Nebraska.
5: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, having me on and asking me. In Omaha, we uh, celebrate with punchki. Uh, in Poland, the actual punchki day is called Thuste, and it is a Thursday before um, Ash Wednesday. And I think they do it then because it gives them a whole week to eat all of those wonderful uh, donuts. Um In Omaha, (laughs) we celebrate on Sunday before Ash Wednesday, Punchki Day, which this year was um, Valentine's Day, which, of course, we were under COVID restrictions, so we did a takeout Valentine's dinner. Uh, We didn't do the Punchki because uh, it was impossible to to, uh, find a bakery that would make 100 dozen for us. So um, we did something that's also very popular in Poland Poland, called Kruszczyki, which is the bow ties in America. Uh, Very nice dessert. So we were able to make those and include it in our dinner. But in the past, every year we've had uh, Punchki Day with a big dinner. Uh, Crowds of people lining up outside to buy Punchki from us uh, that a local bakery made. And our Polish dinner of Gwumki and Pierogi, Pola sausage soup. We would have a potato soup and uh, would draw huge, huge crowds for that. But of course, COVID this year kind of stifled all of that, but we did have a nice crowd come in for our takeout dinner. And uh, so that in um, in Omaha area and in Nebraska, Punchky Day is usually on the weekend before, not like um, in your part of the country where they do it Tuesday. Um, that doesn't give you enough time to eat them.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, <laughs> this is very true. What's the point, right? Yes, I mean, I you know, people are literally lining up at these bakeries at 5am, you know, for for a dozen, uh, you know, and they could be Bavarian cream filled, they could be raspberry filled, um, right. you know, maybe even lemon or apple. Uh, and what are you gonna do? Like stuff your face with a dozen, you know, donuts essentially, you know, in, in a twenty four hour period. Hey, anything is possible, particularly with those. But they're so popular, and and the bow ties, which I cannot pronounce, but I know them well. They're you know, um to give a little bit of a visual to our audio audience, you know, they're they're they they're like kind of like little pastries that are a little bit crunchy. And look like a, the shape of bow tie. They have like powdered sugar on them, and they're very nice. Um, and and I'm sure a great addition. And it sounds like you you all made them there, right? Yes, so you didn't yes. actually outsource those. Right. The the community there at the at the Polish home actually made
5: them, right? Yes, we did. And I, I do have to tell you that punchki are on sale not just um, the week before Lent. Um, many of our bakeries here start producing them in the middle of January, so they are a staple all the way up until Lent, uh, which I don't know if that's in your area or not, but um, our local grocery stores and bakeries uh, start the yep. middle of January.
2: Yeah, our local, gro- like the, the grocery store chains do have them. The the more specialized bakeries um, are a little bit more, you know, uh, they try to do it more closer to the, the traditional sure, time. But sure. yes, uh, very similar because they are so popular, which always just tells me, you know, about how, Different communities and, and their, their food, you know, and, and, cultural traditions just become part of the community at large. Um, you know, and so even if you're not Polish, you know, you're, you're looking forward to this because you are appreciative of the food that are, that is involved. And right. just hearing about, you know, everybody lining up for the, you know, pierogies and that sort of thing. Um, it sounds like you guys are, are very, very popular. I know that, you know, pierogies are also something that, are oftentimes served, um, you know, during the Lenten fish fries, at least again around here. But it's my understanding, you guys don't do the f- Friday fish fries, but you do no. do something else, right?
5: Right. Um, our, uh, church, St. Stanislaus church sponsors, um, a pasta dinner with pierogi. So it's spaghetti noodles with uh, different types of pasta. Beer cheese is the most popular and, um, uh, In fact, just before I got on the air here, I'm making another uh, 20 dozen pierogi for them. Uh, They sold out uh, last Friday. So this is our Friday tradition, and uh, we call it um, uh, save a fish, eat pasta is is our theme (laughs) And uh, there are most of the Catholic churches and the clubs around uh, the area here do fish fries, but we just decided let's do a pasta. And it's very, very popular. We sold out last Friday. So uh, we're only doing three Fridays and it's only takeout because we can't have people inside eating yet. Uh, Hopefully that'll change real soon with this COVID. And uh, so that's a little bit of a different twist that we do here. And pierogi are very popular during Lent in our community also, we're doing a big um, takeout frozen food sale at our Polish club on Palm Sunday. Uh, we spent all last week making, oh, maybe four to 5,000 pierogi, and we will sell them uh, by the dozen. Wow. Um, we have a sweet cheese pierogi and a, uh, a garlic potato filling, and then a uh, the traditional sauerkraut and cabbage filling. Now that isn't as bad as our church. St. Stanislaus, every summer, we have a big Polish fest the third Sunday of August. And um, the last couple of years, we've made up to $26,000 during the summer, put them in the freezer and sell them. Oh my goodness. Sell them on that weekend. Yes, that's, (laughs) and we're always sold out. The line stretches for two or three blocks just to get food.
2: I will say all the ethnic festivals that I've ever been to or that have been around my community, whether it's the Greek fest, the Italian fest, the Polish fest, it's all about that food, you know, and you wait all year long, you know, for, for that, um, you know, those festivals to come around in the summer. But, you know, I would also argue that, you know, this kind of Lenten uh, time of year is also very much a main event um, for communities with the fish fries, with yes. I'm very, I love the save a fish, eat pasta, you know, and the pierogies are a big thing too, you know, uh, people wait, you know, and it's a huge fundraiser for, for churches. But I want to talk a little bit more about the social clubs. And I, you know, the Polish home is, is a social club. Um, and you know, I know you had mentioned that a a number of the other groups, you know, German and, and Italian and others have their own, Croatian, I think maybe as well, have their own kind of ethnic social clubs. And this is something that is very customary uh, across the Midwest in particular, where many of these immigrant groups came and settled and, um, congregated in these, in these places where, you know, they could be with their neighbors, continue their traditions, um, and how what is what is the community like in Omaha?
5: Well, we are extremely similar. Uh, we have the German Club, German Heritage Society, Italian Heritage Society, um, Croatians. Um, oh, let me think. The Irish Irish are all over the place. Um, they're the largest ethnic group here. Irish, Germans, Czech. We have a couple of Czech clubs. And we all pretty mm. much work together. You know, we, we try not to do a, something big on the same day that someone else is doing. We're small enough to, to know each other. Does that make sense? You know, we're, we're not in competition. Absolutely. And uh, almost all of these were started as fraternal benefit organizations to help the new immigrants uh, with, you know, insurance finances, you know, um, the husband would die and the wife is left with children and, you know, everybody would pitch in and help them out. And and that was uh, the way a lot of these places started, the lodges and uh, the clubs. So, uh, and the Polish home started in 1936 was our uh, starting date, right at the end of the depression, if you can believe that. And uh, we've been going strong ever since that's that's impressive, and I love the fact
2: that you know the the different clubs work together and they're not in competition. It just really uh you know says to me or at least is reflective of that you know midwestern community values that we have, you know this is uh supporting one another, supporting our community, and again preserving that that heritage. but you know even if you're not Polish or German, again, I feel like it's sort of the same kind of thing where people will go right. to these social clubs even if they're not uh of that ethnicity because maybe they they are related to what you know someone or they married somebody but it is you know you get that real melting pot feel
5: yes and I, and i agree i love going to the italian dinners because they have the best homemade cannoli in the world and uh you know that's uh, <laughs> Uh, and then the Croatians uh, with their, their dishes. Um, I'm really good friends with a lot of the people there. And man, what good meals they put on. So I agree with you there. Also in Omaha, we're pretty lucky. We have a couple of organizations during the year that hold ethnic festivals. So we all get together, uh, sell our food, show our, our arts and crafts. Uh, the Durham uh, Western Heritage Museum in downtown Omaha has a big Christmas celebration, ethnic Christmas. Oh, wow. we, dec- we each decorate a tree um we i mean our our polish choir sings polish hymns and uh, we have a polka band that'll play and we have polish dancers and every other ethnic group uh does this also and that's usually the first weekend of december uh and then in the about this time of year and now this this year of course we didn't do this but uh usually in march uh the university of nebraska at omaha sponsors an ethnic fest and we all get together and each have a table uh sometimes provide entertainment sometimes provide food depending on what they want so um and so we get to know each other do you know what i mean each of the ethnic groups uh yeah things like that and it's really nice to see the especially the arts and crafts of all of the different organizations uh there are a lot of people even the younger ones i'm in my 60s but there are a lot of 30 and 40 year olds that are trying very hard to teach their children uh all of the customs of the different ethnic groups do you know what I mean? To give them more of a variety of uh, oh yeah, what the different cultures are. So we're fortunate in that Right. Way. Well, it's, I mean, it's right in your
2: backyard. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. It's right in your backyard. You have that ability to, you know, have that kind of um, camaraderie and, and have that be a teaching experience. And, and I would definitely say that you know, for, for our communities here as well, um, I think you get spoiled. And when, when we originally spoke, I, I kind of felt when you were talking about the different, you know, uh, fraternal organizations or, or social clubs that, of the different right. ethnic groups, you know, I was thinking about how in, throughout the Midwest and in places like Milwaukee and Detroit and certainly Cleveland and, and, you know, those surrounding areas, we, I think it's spoiled because we have all these festivals. We have, we have this chance to eat all these different types of foods. You know, maybe it's not, you know, a, like a New York City where you have all these different restaurants necessarily, although I beg to differ. I think there's a lot of, of variety uh, in our communities that people are surprised about. But these right. are real grassroots communities passing along these traditions, which, which is, and doing it through food often,
5: oftentimes. Right. Yes. You know, I agree with you hundred percent. We are, we are spoiled in that way, at least here in the Omaha area. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a fact of life for us. <clears throat> That's right. Well,
2: I, I have learned more about Omaha. Um, I certainly have, um, I, it, cause I don't think I've actually ever been. So, uh, I'm now motivated to, uh, head out to Omaha and, maybe experience one of these summer festivals. But in the meantime, I definitely want to find myself some pierogies, uh, right. which, which we can get our hands on here. But um, I'm, thank you so much, Tom, for, for sharing the, uh, the cultural and food traditions uh, of the Polish community there in Omaha uh, and making us all very hungry in the process. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast.